This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences, devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent. Hi, I'm Adriana, the founder of Woven Spaces, a creative lab that explores how to build better and shape meaningful places. The unique object or experience has always had a powerful appeal, but the process of bespoke commissioning still remains shrouded in mystery. That's why I started Bespoke, a podcast inspired by the designers and makers who create something unique and the people who commission them. Join me as I meet designers, makers, brokers and their clients, find out how commissioning really works and discover the secrets of this very special relationship. This is Bespoke. You have to begin to understand what somebody means by the, the words that they are using to describe a fragrance. If it gets very conceptual, then that's when I bring out the like what, you know. Please, please tell me, like, like what? What does your favourite memory smell of? Might seem an odd question until you start talking to Sarah McCartney, founder of Bespoke Perfumery, 4,160 cheese days. Sarah likes to tell stories in scent. And many of our most personal, most precious stories come from memories of people, places, events, occupations, relationships, and the feelings they evoke. Sarah calls 4,160 Tuesdays a thoroughly indie and artisan perfumery, where everything is made by hand to client specifications and only occasionally making fragrances for other companies. One of her early perfumes was called The Lion Cupboard made for her sister and created for memories of the scent of the cupboard where their father used to keep all his hats, scarves and gloves. Before setting up 4,160 Tuesdays, Sarah was the head of brand language at Lush, so words and scents are thoroughly mixed in her practice, as I discovered when we met to talk about client briefs, commissioning and the world of bespoke perfume. We started by exploring how you capture the smell of an organ loft in an old church in the city of London. Well, it's a collaboration with um, Dan and Joe, they're musicians, and they record their uh, videos in the organ loft of this church in the city. And so the organ loft has now rather come to smell quite perfumey <laughs> because every time they spray something, there's, it seems to be soaked into the wood. Um, and I can't remember whether I asked them or they asked me, but I think I sort of suggested maybe one day it would be lovely to make the smell of the organ loft. Not literally churchy, but of their experience in uh, uh, the whole experience of what they record. So um, from the red wine that they particularly like at the Lebanese restaurant across the road mm -hmm. to the secret church garden behind the... Uh, the, the the stone wall in so there's a blast of incense because they record normally on the Sunday lunchtime after the service so you walk through the door it hits you but then as you make your way up to the organ loft there is this accumulated fragrance of thousands of scents that they have over the last few years sprayed around the place uh, so it ended up with kind of ambers and ouds and all the rich things that they like um, so I made it and we crowdfunded it. And this, this is my idea of a, a proper collaboration because lots of people say, can we collaborate? And it means I want a free thing and I'll take a photograph of it. Now, there's no work. We, we need harder work than that. 
Um, What's well, a conversation? Collaboration is a conversation and it's a proper meeting yeah. of of two different creative minds coming together yeah. to create something even better. It's the alchemy of two creative minds coming together. Exactly. It's not just a little swap. It's uh, So this took us, because it was through lockdowns of various lengths, uh, we started planning it before and then we had to do, uh, you know, zooms from a distance and me sending them versions of it and different parts of the fragrance that I'd put together and then assembling it all and then changing it and adapting it and finally getting it all organised. And then we were able to get back together again, I think last summer when we could meet in town. Uh, And then finally it came to happen. So they got you know, a, a lifetime supply of the waft from the loft. <laughs> I made it. We were all happy. We doesn't have to. We didn't have to talk about, you know, filthy lucre and deals and exclusivity, or just just it's just all full of loveliness. That's what happened. Pure collaboration, yeah. rather than as you say, one that is loaded. Yeah. With commercial intent. I, I did sell it. I mean, our customers. If when I do a crowdfunding event. So that's that's kind of me working with a bunch of people who trust me enough to give me their money in advance of actually smelling anything. But the deal is, if they're prepared to do that, then they can have it for half price. So I then can afford all the materials that I need to make this new thing. They get it at half price when it's ready in its own time. And then after that, the people who are of a more nervous disposition, they pay the proper price for it and such is life. So that's that's how we work on that one. Can you talk through your process of working with a a personal I don't know, personal's the wrong word. Uh, I was say non-corporate client. Well an individual. So an individual, thank yeah. you. That's the word I'm looking to you're the wordsmith and I'm here stumbling. <laughs> um with an individual client. Yes, we have different levels of this. There's uh uh, somebody came in last week. Um, it was a secret present for her husband, so a birthday present. He loves fragrance, so he was he was he arrived on the doorstep and came in and spent an afternoon. And it was a surprise, so he hadn't asked, uh, he hadn't thought <laughs> of of what he might want. So we went through smelling a number of materials. Uh, and created something that was going to remind him of the day because it was actually more important that this weekend represents the loveliness of his, um, uh, well, being away for the kids for two days <laughs> to celebrate his birthday. Um, I'm not saying that that's lovely, but it was, you know, it was a special treat just for the two of them. And so that uh, is is our half day thing that we do. He already knew the kind of things that he loved. But it, normally if somebody does that, they would have a little bit more time to think of what they might like in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or I say in it, what you put in it doesn't necessarily reflect what it smells of. That's interesting. And I guess, how do you manage that with your clients, helping them to understand? Well, we repeat several times, materials are not notes. Materials are input, notes are output. So if somebody says to me, can I have fig in it? The answer is no, because that is banned because it's too dangerous on the skin. Fig absolute got banned a long time ago because it's natural, It's so it's dangerous. Um, that's another long story. But I can make up an aroma of fig out of 
stemone, fructone and redox, which are three much safer aroma chemicals. And that gives, you know, it evokes the smell of having snapped a fig leaf fresh off the tree. So, um, yeah, if they say, I, I want something that's ooh, fresh and breezy, that might mean something very different from me to them. So that's that's when I have to say, like, like what? What kind of thing do you think, or what, what fragrances can you tell me about that might smell fresh and breezy to you? And then we might be able to think about which materials could evoke that particular kind of aroma. But I don't like to copy somebody else's. I mean, it must be quite interesting because it's all about telling a story, but just rather than with words with aromas, but you also have the challenge of how you translate aromas into words because that's the way we often communicate. So how do you manage that bridge? Hmm. With perfume, it really is difficult because... I, I, I have a you know a tuberose cedar tobacco that somebody once said, oh that's really fresh, isn't it? Is it for men? So I just said, yes, you know because if so if you'd come up and said, can you get out of your range something that's really fresh and light? I would not have picked that. But the British particularly, if they like something, they say, oh that smells fresh and natural. If they hate it, they'll go, that's a bit strong for me. Uh, you go to Italy and some of the, I want it strong. So um, the language, you have to begin to understand what somebody means by the, the words that they are using to describe a fragrance. Mm. And unless they're technical and they can say, I'd like a sheep, please, which means it's got oak moss in it and a certain feeling to it, or they want an amber, there are certain categories which are, kind of generally understood but if it gets very conceptual then that's when I bring out the like what you know please please tell me like like what um give me an example and then we know which area we're in at least so once you have helped your client to understand really what it is they're after through the wonderful question like what um how do you then develop scent and how do you share its development with your client? The only way to do it is to make samples and let them test them. And that is time consuming. If we really get into this properly, rather than the, you know, the, the half day lovely experience where I've kind of got to almost extrapolate, how is this going to smell in a month's time? And tell people that they must just wait They can wear it on that day and the next day, but then they must put it away and leave it to mature, to macerate. Oh, and is that with all scents? Do they take time to evolve? Yes, yes they do. Um, And normally I would take time, if I make something at 100% strength, I would then leave that compound for at least a month before I dilute it. And when I dilute it, then I also need to leave it for at least another month. It depends particularly how many things you put in it. It will take longer. And if you put a natural in, which is going to be made from between 300 and 600 chemicals by the plant, that takes a lot longer. So it's like putting a big bunch of people together and they all have to get to know each other before you're quite sure how it's going to work out. Mm -hmm. So 
It can be a small party. It can be a Wembley Stadium full of people. Full of chemicals. So if we're going to do this properly, then I, I really have to warn people at the beginning, how much time have you got? Because that will influence what I can use to make it. So, yes, I mean, everything smells better if you leave it a couple of years. Leave it sealed up in the dark. Take it out. It's like, oh, now it's it's like it's achieved its smoothness potential. Um, things can smell a little bit just, it's like wine. It was like too fresh and young at the beginning. Just leave it to sit and it improves. So I have to warn people about that. So, um, and, and if it's going to be produced for somebody else, it's going to be given away to you know, the greater public or sold. Then it has to have a stability test to check that it's going to be the same at the end of that time. And it's nobody's going to come back and go, oh, look, it's turned green. That mustn't happen. So there are those things. But on an, for an individual, then, so I'll make something. Send it to them, see if they like it. Fill around a bit. <laughs> we we call it tweaking, really. We'll just, does it need tweaks or does it need complete reformulation? And how do they articulate to you their response to this fragrance? Because I imagine that's also challenging is you send a sample and then the client has to try and find a way to communicate the tweaks that they think might be needed. Well, what we'd probably do is send three samples and say, which is your favourite? Ah, okay. <laughs> and also maybe uh, ask them to layer them. If, if they think, well, it's halfway between number one and number three. Well, put one squirt of number one and the squirt of number three on top of it, leave it. Does that do it for you? So then, uh, but if it's, oh, no, none of this is, this is completely all wrong. This is not what I thought at all. Then obviously you scrap it and start again. That's a bit more difficult because, mm. um, I, I mean, I can't, apart from the um, the original what if, I've never been so far out. Mm. Um, but it, getting them to name individual things that they do like, you know, that helps. Right? If somebody says, I want the rose fragrance, mm. then, you know, we know what we're doing. Um but there was one I was working on for a client in Barbados <laughs> and he wanted a particular feeling, but he had a list of materials he wanted included in it. Oh, right. So and he actually came back and said, right, I want more Kashmiran in it. Like, okay, you really do know what you're doing. <laughs> and how do you enjoy working with clients who are that knowledgeable and specific about the materials that they are after, or is it much easier to work with a client who has a notion of the experience they want? You know, it depends not much on the knowledge. It depends on the attitude more. So if somebody knows exactly what they're doing and exactly what they want, and they're still an absolute joy and delight to work with, then that's brilliant. If somebody thinks they know a lot about it, but aren't quite a certain and if I say well uh, rather than that could we try this and they dig in double down and say no that I probably will pull the plug Mm -hmm. because hmm so does it matter about whether they know whether they're not it it, as long as it's a joy and a delight to work with the people and they're part of the process I don't mind how much they know 
and or how precise they want to be. I mean, what's very interesting is that we're obviously speaking to lots of different kinds of makers and practitioners, creative practitioners, and often the involvement of the client isn't always so engaged. But with your process, the client has to be very engaged because they have to continue to participate in the shaping of the product. Well, hardly anyone in the world realises that they could get a bespoke perfume. Mm. A lot of people, if I say I make perfume, they say, you, you can make perfume. Because <laughs> it's, it's a thing that you buy from a shop. I know that seems ridiculous, but of course it gets made somewhere. But the idea of having one made just for you is very, very new to a lot of people. So if they've come as far as realising that it is a concept, it, it exists, that bespoke perfumery happens, then they probably know far more than the average person. Um, knowing about the individual materials, that's a lot rarer because a lot of the synthetics are never listed on a notes list, which again is the, it's the output. It's not it's not the input. So you say I like mine to have peony in it. Like, well, you can't because peonies don't turn into a perfume material. But if you like, I can make it smell a bit of peony. But it's not going to have freshly crushed peonies. Yes, I think we all have this romantic idea of the south of France where everyone is kind of yeah. crushing flowers. Yeah, hand crushing dandelions. It's And of course, a lot of that does happen in the south of France. I mean, grass is still the centre of most of the perfume trade, even if they're not all produced there. Um, and there is there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors. OK, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors, <laughs> which... Sometimes I can just sort of, I can hear hearts breaking as I describe the the lily of the valley has never been made from flowers, ever. It's always been made from hydroxycitronellal and lilyal and lyral and lilybell and all the new ones. They don't quite have the romance to them, do they, these chemical names? No, and, and there's a very strong movement for protecting the mythology and the mystery. Yeah. And I'm such a nerd, I like to tell everybody about hydroxycitronella <laughs> and the like, because, you know, then you can understand better what can be done. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's it's almost impossible in modern times to make a fragrance that actually smells like a fragrance without using some of these marvellous synthetic molecules, which put the feeling of life back into the very, very processed naturals. It's not really natural to collect a million rose petals and then put them in a big vat and cover them in oil and then extract the aroma and then distill off the bit that you need and then it turns into a kilo of rose absolute. Mm. So fine, it came from flowers, but they didn't naturally leap into that vat. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot is lost along the way. So if you want that thing then to smell like a real rose again, the the air around a rose, you have to add other things back in again. And that's where the synthetic molecules really come in handy. How does it work when you get a corporate client coming to you and requesting a new fragrance? That's almost certainly a lot faster. Right. (laughs) Because by the time they've thought that this is what they need, and by the time they found somebody like me, one of them, I had five days 
to get the perfume together. It's like, wow. We need the smell of an orange tree. Can you do it? Yep. <laughs> Amazing. So I made the smell of an orange tree. But that was for a, an event that had little orange trees on the, the walk in and they were hoping it would waft beautifully of orange tree. And of course, they're too small. There's just not enough flowers on them. So I made the smell of an orange tree, which I actually ended up launching later because it was just sitting there. Uh, and it's such a beautiful smell. It is, and mm. it genuinely smells just like orange trees. Mm. So, um, And did they do then atomise it? We just put it space? in bottles and squir- squirted okay. it. Oh, right. I, I had this image I, of this kind of incredible mechanical contraption that was triggered as you walked through. Uh, I did a strawberry fragrance for um, an event that had to quickly fill a room with strawberry fragrance for a, 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 a gin brand. And you can buy quick atomizers, which will spread the aroma as fast as you possibly can. But you see, that's another issue. The, the technology of getting aromas into a room, that's fine. Getting them back out again, not so easy. <laughs> you don't imagine a scent could linger for that long if it's not being continually produced by whatever is in that space. So it's interesting to understand the half-life of a scent. Yeah. Within, yeah. within a space when used like that. Well, you were saying earlier about scarves still smelling of your favourite perfume. Mm. If it gets absorbed, particularly into wool, yeah. um, it will stay. I mean, you, you can have your best cashmere dry clean, put it away and come back out in autumn and it still smells of the fragrance. Mm. So it, when it gets absorbed into clothing, actually that's a very good way to, way to wear fragrances, put it on your clothing, not your skin. That's interesting. Um, and going back to your corporate clients, so you often you can turn things around very, very quickly. Yeah. Um, and is the process similar in the sense that it, are you still sending samples regularly for them to respond to? Is the relationship different or is it does it follow a similar pattern? It is quite similar. It, usually people who have found me have a, a definite need for something and it does need to be fairly fast. And they are generally quite happy to have found someone who can advise them mm. on what's possible and in what timescale, what they need to do. Uh, one that needs to go on the skin will need the time for the stability test. And then, I mean, this particular project that I did for, for Samsung to create the smell of laundry, uh, freshly laundered, they put the launch date back two weeks so that we could do the stability test correctly. Because it was very important to get all the legalities correct and to get the right rubber stamps. So um, had they found me a bit later, it would have been awkward, but we had a little bit of flexibility. But uh, they were absolute dream, the ad agency, to deal with for that because... They were so organised. It's right, right. This happens then. We do this. Do do that. You're going to do. We deliver these on these days. You fill those bottles. You get back to us. We will collect within these five minutes, and that happens. So that is, you know, client from heaven. That is, and that's that's as you say, it's a very different rhythm. I imagine to the time you need to encourage somebody to engage with a personal scent. Well. Everybody knew that they were working to a deadline. So their expectations were like, this needs to be really good. But what we're not going to do is spend an extra six months faffing about the last 5%. Mm -hmm. So I created the three samples of 
what I thought that freshly laundered <laughs> um, clothing smelled like. And they chose one and we went with it, boom, which was great. So uh, had I not known what was generally used to fragrance washing powders, it might have taken longer. But um, yeah, that, that happened really, really very smoothly because they knew what the aroma had to be. I had no idea what the project was until I'd finished it. I knew it was going in a washing machine shaped bottle. Oh, right. But you weren't aware no, I, that it was... I, I was actually woken up on the Thursday morning by Nick, my husband, going like rattling me away. He said, you've got to watch this because the the end result, the, the spoof perfume ad featuring Max Whitlock wearing the smell of freshly laundered fragrance uh, was was live and on the Piccadilly lights. And there are only 200 bottles in the world. But yeah, that was quite exciting. I guess my last really question is about what's your dream commission? The one that you drop anything else for? I... Uh, I just finished it last night, I think. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it, it was actually for the Courtauld. And it was working with some young people and the artist Jeremy Della, who happens to be a hero of mine. Um, and I did get a bit fangirly in his presence. It's a bit <laughs> embarrassing, but such is life. Uh, and this was this lovely project, which is a multi-sensory educational project uh, about what inspired people from the painting. So um, for me, I had to go in with a lot of materials which could make the sense that might have been around at the time. So I think it was 1898. Lots of new synthetics around. It was very exciting. Violet smells, vanilla smells, musks. Um, people would have been generally a bit smellier. The clothes would have been washed a little less often. So we had cumin and a lovely musk called Aurelion that smells just like walking into a charity shop. Okay. It's just like that, that clean lovely. clothes, but have been hanging around a while. That, um, And then the smell of candied oranges and booze. And so, uh, you know, I was practically like, please let me pay you to do this. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, something which is just so unusual and so involved in lots of different ways. So last night, in fact, it was the, the launch at the, the live event at the Courtauld. So I'm still recovering from that. Well, thank you so much for all your time and your phenomenal insights into what is an exceptional process. Um, and yeah, thank you very much for taking part. Oh, it's been fun. Thank you. This is Bespoke. So look out for the next episode of Bespoke. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to the show and connect with us through our website, wavenvoices.co.uk and Instagram at Bespoke. We'd love to hear from you. So for now, it's goodbye from me, Adriana Pace-Kent. And as ever, a massive thank you to all my guests. Bespoke is a Woven Voices production. Find out more at wovenvoices.co.uk. Brought to you by Woven Spaces, shaping meaningful places online and on site. Audio production by The Boy in the Corner. <laughs>